good morning, afternoon, or evening for wherever you may be joining us from today. Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. In that saving name of Jesus, it is such a distinct honor, first of all, to praise God with you today, but then to see so many friendly faces, and it has been uh, my distinct honor, my wife and I's distinct honor over the last few days to spend some time with such quality leaders at Life Church. Uh, how many of you know you're a part of a great church? Amen. You're a part of a great church, a great leadership team. And just to rub shoulders and interact with the leaders of Life Church has been such a neat thing over the last couple of days. We've prayed together, we've laughed together, we've eaten together, we've had just a wonderful time. And then for Stacy and I to be able to slip into service with you on this Sunday is such a privilege. And I want to say how much I appreciate and I am so thankful for the ministry of Pastor Steve O'Donnell. Sister Sherry O'Donnell, the first lady of this church, aren't you thankful for your senior pastor and his good wife leading the charge here in Burlington? Amen. He said it well. We've been connected to the O'Donnell family for many, many years. And the thing is, he and I aren't that old. So that means we probably started knowing each other when we were about two. Uh, But all kidding aside, uh, these are such wonderful uh, Christian people. And I thank God that the Lord in His providence sent them to Burlington and to pastor this great church. And then Luke and Grace, I appreciate them so much. Uh, Behind every good pastor and his wife many times is great children, and that's surely the case here at Life Church. And I want to give honor to to Luke and to Grace. I'm so thankful my wife is here with me. Uh, She is my first and last wife. I've been married twice, my first time and my last time. Uh, we have been married for 25 years, almost 26 years, and the Lord has given us two beautiful children, Madison, who is 21, and Landon, who is 19, and uh, we're just thankful to be in the kingdom of God, just thankful to be in God's presence. Uh, I want to ask you a question. How many of you today would give me an honor And here's what I would like to ask. It would take me a long time at the close of this service to come and individually pray for every single person here. I would love it if I was superhuman and I was able to do that very quickly, but that would take a long time. Uh, Your lunch in the crock pot would have burned by the time you got home if I endeavored to do that. But how many of you here today would just give me the honor of praying over us before we leave by coming forward at the close of this message? Now, I know you don't know me. I'm the new guy. I'm the, you know, he's the American that's here today from the South. We know he's short. We do recognize that. But I would love the honor of praying over this church and this, the people of this church. How many would just say, Brother Gaddy, that's good. I'm going to join with you. You can pray with me. And so in just a few minutes at the close of my message, I'm going to ask everybody that would to come and join around the front and just allow me the privilege to pray over you. I was praying for this Sunday morning service particularly And I really feel like somebody's testimony this week is that you're going to be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. 
I believe that somebody is going to testify sometime during this week that what you walked in here needing the Lord to do physically in your body, God is going to heal you today. I also felt a nudging in the spirit that somebody is going to have a testimony sometime this week that you are thinking different about your situation because of the lifting that the Spirit of God does in your mind and your spirit. Now, how many of you would say, Brother Gaddy, I agree with that, and I am receiving that right now. I'm laying hold upon that and believing something's going to happen in the next few minutes. Amen. I'm thankful for his presence. Stand with me one more time, if you would, just in honor of the word of the Lord. And I'm going to direct you to a couple of different New Testament passages in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, chapter number 23. We will look there. And then we will also look at the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1. And I want to thank Pastor Jonathan and all the music team. They did a super job leading us in worship today. I'm thankful to be able to worship and lift my voice to the Lord. Amen. Now, how many of you brought a Bible? If you brought a Bible, would you hold it up? I want to see where it is. Hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. Okay. Now, it's always interesting to me in 2019 when I ask people to hold their Bible up. Because if you'll look around right now, there are leather-bound books up in the air right now like mine. Uh, I see some tablets that are up in the air. I see some smartphones with smart users up in the air. I was preaching at a conference a little while ago, and I asked everybody to hold up their Bible. And a little young man on the front row just pointed at the screen. So, so if you are here and you don't have any of those devices or any a leather-bound Bible, you can look at the screen and we'll put uh, these verses on the screen as well. Luke chapter 23 and verse number 33. When they were come to the place, everyone say the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, or the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Everyone, would you say Calvary? First Corinthians chapter number 1, and I will ask you to look at verse number 17. And while you're finding that verse, allow me to tell you that if you ever don't feel good about yourself, then read the book of First Corinthians. Because 1 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul to a church that was really mixed up. So I'm not assuming you would ever feel that about life, church. But if you ever just need a lift in your spirit, read 1 Corinthians. You'll feel better about yourself. Because it is in the first chapter of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth that they are arguing about who baptized them. Now, that's a, that's a foolish argument to have. So I was baptized of this one, and I was baptized by this one. And Paul the Apostle says it like this, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 1. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He is not inferring that water baptism is not important. He's trying to diffuse the argument over who baptized them. He said, God, Christ hasn't sent me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross 
of Christ should be made of none effect. It's the next verse that I will draw your attention to. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. There is something about that cross. There is something about that historical moment where Jesus of Nazareth was hung between heaven and earth that speaks to us today. So with that in mind, I just want to preach on Calvary. Everybody say Calvary. Set your Bible down and let's pray one more time. I wish you would pray for me as a preacher. And let's pray for all of us to have hearts and ears open to the Spirit of God. Would you lift up your voice right now? Maybe close those eyes and focus on the Lord. Jesus, I thank you for your mighty presence today. Oh, I feel your anointing in this house right now, Lord. I thank you for what that, all that will transpire in the next few moments when the cross is preached. I pray, Lord, that you would drive every distraction out of this room. And I pray, Lord, that there would be a, a, a clear word from heaven. I pray there would be a pure word would touch every heart and every mind. And you would allow there to be a demonstration of your glory and your power. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone say in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing and for following along in your Bible. I have to confess something at the very outset of this sermon this morning that it is very easy if I am not careful to fall into a dangerous way of thinking. Now, I don't think I'm unusual or that I somehow am peculiar that perhaps I struggle with this, but if I'm not careful, I can fall into the idea of thinking that God is like me, that God thinks like me, that God acts like me, that God somehow decides things like I decide things. When really the converse is true. The Bible says that God was not created in our image, but we were created in His image. And so the desire of this great God whom we worship this morning is that we would become more like Him rather than just Him becoming like us. It's true, God became flesh. But there is a call to be like Him. There is a call to think like Him, to speak like Him, to decide like Him, to have my path ordered by the Lord. Now, I many times have heard stories of people uh, who have had quite a journey in their life. Most of our lives are not a straight line. They're a little jog off to the right here and a little jog off to the left here. But there are others, the minority, that they have always wanted to be something 
And that's what they became. But I will tell you, those are the exceptions. We as human beings are fairly reactionary. We do see the hand of God at work in our lives many times. But other times we face reality and we uh, react to that reality. And that reality becomes our norm. How many of you have ever got up in the morning feeling very good? And somebody cut you off in traffic on your way to work. And what started as a very good day became a not so good day on the commute. Why? Because we as human beings are quite reactionary. And yet I want to preach to you on this Sunday morning, God is not reactionary. God works on purpose. God had a plan for this Sunday morning before any of us walked through this door. God knew about my life and he knew about your life years ago before we ever got to this place. That tells me that we're here on purpose and God is at work in our life. And if there is a God that has a plan and you and I are here on purpose, that means anything is possible. Anybody can be touched. Anybody can be healed. There is a God with a plan. I want you to hear this. Many times we try to become something, but when it comes to God, He is. Period. Moses said, who should I say sent me? He said, I'll tell you who to tell Pharaoh sent you. I am that I am. He is. So I just want to say this, and I just want to throw it in here real quick. Whatever we need Jesus to be, He's big enough and great enough to be that today. He is the healer this morning. He is the lifter of our head this morning. He is the bright and the morning star. He simply is. And so God's plan for creating mankind and His plan for redeeming mankind has been around From the beginning of time, John chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is the concept or the idea of redemption. Just 13 verses later in John 1 and 14, and the Word, the concept of redemption became flesh. And it dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we cannot separate Jesus Christ from the concept or the idea of redemption. Now it's very important that we understand this today. Because when you and I open up our Bibles to the Old Testament and we read that first two-thirds of the Bible, you know the part that talks about sacrifices, the part that talks about not eating this and being okay to eat that, the stuff that seems so strange to us in Burlington on a Sunday morning. 
If we don't understand that this God of all eternity has always had a plan for redemption, that stuff will make no sense to us. But if we understand that this God who's always had a plan for redemption set it up that sacrifices would be put on an altar in the Old Testament to be a signal to the future that there's coming a day when an ultimate sacrifice would be made. If we don't get that, we're going to be lost through the rest of the Bible but if you and I understand that God has always had a plan for redemption God has always from the beginning of time had a plan to bring man back to him when we fall down he's not reactionary he's had a plan the whole time he's wanted to bring us back all the time Genesis chapter number 2 and verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. One chapter later, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? In the ensuing verses, mankind takes fig leaves and sews them together and covers their shame. When the Lord occasions on what man covered himself with, he said that's not adequate. Why? Because the way we cover shame will always be inadequate. The way that we cover wrong will always be insufficient. And so God in his mercy, he didn't let man stay in that. He stepped in and he took the skins of animals and he fashioned coats for mankind. And made them tunics of skin and clothed them. Man had an idea of covering their sinfulness and their shame. And it was dreadfully inadequate. But God instituted a proper covering for man's sinfulness. And it involved the shedding of blood. Here's what I know. If I'm going to make a coat out of animal skins, it's best if the animal's dead first. If I'm going to make a covering of animal skins and shed some blood, then that means something's got to die and blood has to be shed. And so from the very first few pages of Scripture, whenever God wanted to deal with something wrong in man, there was the shedding of blood and there was death. This is why in the Old Testament, in our Bible, it is a very bloody book. Many animals are sacrificed, altars of spilled blood and spread blood and introduced in this bloody context of Old Testament scripture is a powerful truth called atonement. Everybody say atonement. Atonement by definition is the satisfaction 
for a wrong or an injury. It is making proper amends. Now what's just almost remarkable for me is how atonement is described in the Old Testament. Because atonement was first introduced for inanimate objects. This has always marveled me. Twelve places in the Old Testament, they had contaminated houses. And in order to cleanse a contaminated house, the priest was to kill a bird, dip various fabrics, and even the wing of another live bird in that blood, spread it on the house, And when that spreading of the blood was put on a contaminated house, the priest would walk up to that house that had been contaminated, but now had had blood applied to it. And the priest would speak over that house and call it clean. And when the priest spoke cleansing over that house, the the homeowner could move back in. Why? Because something had died. Blood had been spilled. And there was a pronouncement of cleansing upon the house. Now on the surface you and I might think, Whoa, that's an odd practice. I'm glad Pastor Steve doesn't have to kill a bird. Dip a wing in blood. Come over to my garage and spread that on my garage so that I can be free from contamination. And yet, hear me this morning. Every page in that Bible tells us of this atonement then and this atonement now. And I want to preach to somebody everything that God has ever been, He still is today. Any way that God has ever worked... He still is working today. That's why Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 30 declares the purpose of atonement. When it simply says it is to cleanse you from all of your sins. Leviticus 17 and 11 ratchets up the importance of atonement. When the scripture declares the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And so for 4,000 years, bulls were put on altars. Lambs were put on altars. Birds were put on altars. Things died and blood was spilled For the atonement, for the amends, to satisfy the punishment and push the penalty ahead. And then, walking out of the wilderness is a very unusual man called John. Isaiah the prophet prophesied that he would come. He baptized people, the scripture says, unto repentance or to signify their repentance. And yet it was this unusual, peculiar man named John who said, I baptize you unto repentance. But there is one coming after me who is greater than I am. And he is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. 
The Bible says in the Gospel of John, these things were done in Bethbara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. 29th verse, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, get this, the Lamb of God. Now on the surface, none of that's unusual. A man standing up and saying, Behold, The Lamb of God. He is speaking to people that for 4,000 years had put lambs on an altar. They understood what that meant. That may sound strange to us, but to that audience, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Behold the Lamb of God. But this is where it changes. Behold the Lamb of God that doesn't push ahead sin. Doesn't just deal temporarily with sin. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Could it be that there's a man coming that's going to spill some blood, but this time it's not going to be to roll sins ahead. This time, it's not just going to be to postpone the penalty. This time, it's not going to be so that one year from now, we got to come back again. But John, the prophet, that old, that wonderful man of God said, Behold, there's a man coming down this road, and he's going to give his life to take away the sins of the world. It was in this moment... That John was prophetically speaking of what Jesus would do. Yes, he was going to work miracles. Yes, he was going to open blind eyes. Yes, he was going to open deaf ears. But his ultimate purpose was not to be a miracle worker. His ultimate purpose was to go to a cross and die as the Lamb of God on that cross. And once and for all have blood shed for our sickness and for our salvation. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the So, it ought not to surprise us what Deuteronomy chapter number 21 declares in the Old Testament. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, he is put to death and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall bury him that day. So that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged on a tree is accursed of God. You see, to be suspended on a tree was a cursed way to die. This action of hanging between heaven and earth was the highest degree of disgrace and reproach in which an individual could have his life taken. Saul was hung on the wall of Bethshan after he was killed by the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 31. Hebrew idol worshipers were hanged on display before Israel in Numbers chapter 25 to signify how awful their enemy thought they were. People would assume when someone was hanged on a tree that the condemned was abandoned by both heaven and earth. Unworthy of either of them. And scholars declare that when someone was hung on a tree, 
that they not only took the penalty of sin, but they became the curse itself. This is why when you and I open up our Bibles, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Paul said to the Corinthians, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Watch this. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You talk about ultimate atonement. This one man, this sinless man, this son of God who became the once and for all sacrifice on the cross. That's why Paul spoke it clearly as we read in our text. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it. What's the it? It's the preaching of the cross. It is the power of God. Power of the cross is not in the fact that it happened, but it is in the fact that it is declared as being the plan for our redemption. This is God's plan for our freedom. I want to tell every person that's struggling with a habit today, there is no shortcut past Calvary. There is no shortcut that you and I can take that bypasses Calvary. If we're going to be free in our mind, we're going to have to come by Calvary. If we're going to be healed in our body, it's going to require us to come by Calvary. If we're going to be set free in our thinking and be freed in our relationships, we cannot go around Calvary. We must have a cosmic collision with Calvary today. I want to tell someone the cross still makes the difference. The cross still is the epicenter of history. It is the cross of Calvary. Somebody needs to hear this preacher. There's no habit that's too strong for Calvary. There's no sickness that's too powerful for Calvary. There's no dependency that has Calvary shackled or worried. There is something about the cross. There is something about Calvary. I can't get around it. I can't make it pretty because it's not supposed to be pretty. It's supposed to be my atonement. Paul said, I didn't come with pretty words. I came preaching the power of the cross. Because the truth of the matter on this Sunday morning is I am preaching to people here today that you don't need a pretty message from a preacher from the United States. You need the power of the cross. 
We don't need some cute little story that tickles the back of our, our minds and makes us leave saying, wow, I'm glad he preached that. But what we do need if we want true life change is the power of that cross, what that blood meant, what that sacrifice meant. We need Calvary today. I've asked God for the power of Calvary to sweep across this place today. I've asked God for the power that he purchased on Calvary to heal bodies in this sanctuary today. I've asked God to let the power of Calvary liberate somebody's mind that went to bed last night and you're shackled in your thinking. I've got a word from God for you today. There is a place called Calvary. There is a place called the old rugged cross. And it still works. It still saves. It still delivers. Praise God. The power of the cross is in its redeeming power. I want you to stand with me, please. And I'm going to ask us not to move in and out right now. I'm not trying to hold anybody captive. But just out of the sacredness of this moment. I'm asking every single person, whether you are a member of this church or you're a guest of this church. God wants to step down into our reality today. And let something that happened 2,000 years ago affect us in a powerful moment in this sanctuary. Hallelujah. I wish we would just close our eyes. And those of you that know how to pray, I wish you would lift up your voice for just a moment and ask the Lord to let Calvary come through right now. Come on, I wish there'd be some teenagers that would join with me right now. Say, Jesus, we're clinging to the cross right now we're holding on to the cross right now I wish somebody that's had your sins washed away in the waters of baptism calling on the name of Jesus you know what it is to have your sins atoned and taken away by the power of Calvary I wish you'd cry out to the Lord right now I wish you'd cry out to that Savior right now and say Calvary come through for us right now Come through for us right now, Lord. Come through for us right now, Lord. Somebody go ahead and pray. Somebody go ahead and pray in the Holy Ghost right now. There's a sweeping of God's presence in this house. Come on, some people would say the preaching of the cross, that's just foolishness. But unto us who have been saved by that cross, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. What do you need from Calvary today? What would you walk in here needing from Calvary today? Praise God. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Uh, hear me today every sickness has to bow at the feet of Calvary today every addiction has to bow at the feet of Calvary today every bondage is subject to the power of Calvary today 
once and for all, Paul said, he sacrificed his life. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that in order to have that house cleansed, you had to have something die. And you had to have some blood spilled. And then you had to have the voice declaring it clean. So is it any wonder this morning why 2,000 years ago men took that sinless man named Jesus and hung the Lamb of God on that cross? Isaiah said his visage or his appearance was marred so much that we probably couldn't have even recognized it was him. Because the blood flowed. And Jesus issued seven short statements on that cross. The last of which. It is I got to tell you, all my life, I used to think that that was Jesus finally giving up. But I don't believe that for a second anymore. When Jesus, the Lamb of God, who spilled his blood on that cross, lifted up his weakened voice and declared, It is finished! He was declaring, Every need for continual sacrifice is now done. Every price needing to be paid for the great physician to heal somebody's body, it's done. Every sacrifice necessary to free someone from a life of it's finished that was not a cry of giving up that was a cry of victory so let me just say it clearly today whatever you have need of it's finished because of Calvary whatever sickness you need to be healed of today it's finished because of Calvary Whatever lifting in your mind you need today, it's finished because of Calvary. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message spoke into your life, your heart, or whatever situation you may be going through. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at lifechurch.ca on Instagram and on Facebook search Life Church and you will find our navy blue logo with the letters LC in the middle. We thank you for your support and love you all. Have a wonderful week and God bless.